This morning we're going to be in Exodus chapter 8. Exodus chapter 8. Um, somebody is turning there right now. Uh, Exodus chapter 8 is where we're going to be. Uh, we're going to continue in our series. The title of the message this morning is A Distinct People. A Distinct People. And so we are on, those of you who have been counting, we are on plague number four, right? Um, so if you've, you've held out with us this far, we got six more plagues to go, all right? Uh, but uh, it's going to be great today. So uh, we're going to be in Exodus chapter 8, starting in verse 20. If you would stand to your feet for the reading of God's Word. And this is what the Word of the Lord says. And the Lord said to Moses, get up early in the morning and confront Pharaoh as he goes to the river and say to him, this is what the Lord says. Let my people go so that they may worship me. If you do not let my people go, I will send swarms of flies on you and your officials, on your people and into your houses. The houses of the Egyptians will be full of flies. Even the ground will be covered with them. But on that day, I will deal differently with the land of Goshen where my people live. No swarms of flies will be there so that you will know that I, the Lord, am in this land. I will make a distinction between my people and your people. This sign will occur tomorrow. The Lord did this. Dense swarms of flies poured into Pharaoh's palace and into the houses of his officials throughout Egypt. The land was ruined by flies. Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you for your love, your grace, your mercy. Thank you that you're so good to us. And Father, I pray, Lord, that your hand would just be with us today. Lord, that you would be with me. Father, I pray, Lord, that it would not be my word spoken, but yours spoken through me, that those who would have an ear, let them hear the declaration of your word today. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So yesterday it rained. There was a, a, a lot of rain in some places, and What's the first thing that you, you pick up when it starts raining? Do you, are, are, you, are we more of like umbrella people or are we more like jacket people? How many of you rather an umbrella over like a, jack, a raincoat? Umbrella, raincoat, nothing at all. You're just like, bring it on. Okay, great, wonderful. We'll pray for you. Uh, there's this thing that, that when we use an umbrella, I, I'm more of a jacket person. I don't like having to carry around something that's not attached to me. So, uh, so it's one of those where it's, hey, you know, if you have an umbrella, you've got to put it somewhere. You've got to carry it around. You've got to do something with it. And so I'm not a very big uh, fan of umbrellas. Also, you've got to shake it out, all those different things. So it's just not my, my cup of tea. But uh, those that do, it, it's, it's always nice whenever you do have an umbrella. And if it's a good umbrella, then it actually does its job, right? And so you'll, you'll see that when you, when you go through, yes, wearing a, a raincoat is great, but, but sometimes your, your feet still get wet. But if you've got a nice big umbrella that actually works, it's, it's as if you're not even walking in rain at all. You're just walking right through. There's no water is touching you whatsoever. There's, there's something that is, it's like a force field around you that, that you don't get rained on whatsoever. In this passage, we see kind of the same thing going on with God's people, that there's this umbrella of protection, there's this distinction that's being made between God's people or the land that God's people are in and the Egyptians. 
In this passage, we see that there's this fourth plague, and it's the plague of flies. God tells Moses, he says, get up early and meet Pharaoh at the river. And here, this is the place that Moses confronts Pharaoh at the very beginning. If you were with us for the first plague, this is where Moses was for the very first plague. That he confronts Pharaoh at the, at the side of the Nile when Pharaoh is going out early in the morning. And so I'm sure that Pharaoh, when he's going out and he's getting ready, like how many of you want to see your worst enemy uh, right as you get up in the morning? None of us do. And yet that's Pharaoh. He's going up. He's, he's going. He's just having a nice morning. He's probably got his cup of coffee. He's going to go sit by the, uh, by the side of the river and just think about life. And then all of a sudden he looks over and there's Moses standing there. And I'm sure in Pharaoh's mind, it, it's, oh man, he turned, the blood, he turned the river to blood last time we were down here. Now what's going to happen? And so Moses speaks, and, and the Lord tells Moses to say, let my people go. And so they're on the banks of the Nile, and, and this is, the, again, the very first place, the beginning of the plagues. And this is the plague of flies. These were, more literally speaking, the, the word here isn't just fly, it's, it's mostly biting insects or biting flies. And so flies are annoying in and of themselves, right? But imagine all of those flies are deer flies or horse flies. That's even worse. Not only that, but, but these flies were so numerous, it says that they covered the whole floor, all the floors of the houses were covered in flies, this was a place, all of these swarms of, of biting insects, of biting flies, were, that was what this plague was. In fact, Psalm 78, 45 talks about these swarms of flies. It says, he sent swarms of flies that devoured them. What, what the, the writer of this psalm is saying, he's specifically speaking about God sending a swarm of flies that devoured the Egyptians. And so these are flies that are biting. These are flies that are eating flies. These are, these are not your, uh, your, your regular house fly. These are ones that, that you're, you really don't want to be a part of one of them, let alone a multitude. Flies within the Egyptian world, they were symbols of persistence. In fact, Egyptians would wear amulets of flies in order to uh, keep them from getting bit by flies. <laughs> uh, so now the, those amulets aren't working. Golden flies were given by Pharaoh to soldiers for bravery in battle. And so flies were considered <coughs> symbols of, of bravery, symbols of persistence within the Egyptian world. As they're standing on the side of the Nile, the, the Nile, uh, there's, there's kind of something different about this plague compared to the other three. The other three required a substance in order to create that thing. And so, specifically, the, the Nile, the first one, the Nile turning into blood, there had to be water that needed to be turned into blood. There was a substance, the water, that, that God struck and turned to blood. We see that, that the Nile was also the substance of the, of the place where the frogs came out of in the second plague. And we also see that last week we talked about this, but the third plague was, was striking the dust and, and it became gnats. And so there was a substance 
that was going on, that was being taken and used and created a miracle, and that's, those were the first three plagues. However, this one, there is no substance talked about. There's no striking of the dust. There's no, there's no stirring of the river. There's none of those things. It's, it's that these flies seemingly come from nowhere. That God is, is creating these flies from nothing, out of nothing. It's interesting that when you kind of look into this a little bit more, there, there's an Egyptian god of creation that's named Capri. And can anybody guess the head of that Egyptian god? A fly. Isn't it interesting that, that the Egyptian god with the head of the fly is, is also the Egyptian god of creation, and yet God is creating these things out of nothing? It's almost as if God is sitting there and saying, hey, this creation over here is nothing compared to what I can do. God created all things, the universe, the, the term is ex nihilo, which means from nothing. God created everything. And so in this moment, we see that, that God is now showing that he can create out of nothing, and he's greater than this Egyptian God of creation. In fact, God, it's, it's important that we see this, that God needs nothing to show his power. He doesn't need some things. There's this, this story of these scientists that come to God and say, God, we've done it. We know how to create life. We know how to create. And, and, and you can't, that, that we know how to do your job. There's no need for you anymore. And God says, okay, show me. And the, the scientists reach down and pick up some dirt. And God says, hold on a minute. Get your own dirt. This is understanding that, that even creation, in order to create, must use created things. And yet God is the only one that can create from nothing. And so he's showing his power. And that's very interesting to me as I was studying this, that, that the Egyptian god for creation is essentially being overpowered and shown by God, Yahweh, who's creating out of nothing. One of the more interesting parts of this passage, though, is that this is the first plague with the distinction of people. So the first three plagues, this, it was all of Egypt that was struck with this. The Nile turned to blood. All water turned to blood. The frogs came, and there was a plague of frogs. Everyone was affected. It was in everything. It was in your ovens, your beds, everywhere. The gnats were everywhere. And yet God makes a distinction between the Egyptians and the Israelites. He says that Goshen's going to be protected. The, the, there's not a fly that will enter into the land of Goshen. Now, we're not really sure or positive as to where the land of Goshen is specifically. We, we know it's most likely within uh, the eastern part of the Nile Delta. We know that it's, it's most likely part of the land or is the land that, that was given to Jacob and his family by Joseph in Genesis uh, chapters 46 and 47. Now, this was a place really that this was the main area in which the Israelites lived. 
This was a place that, that most of them would live and settled. But at the same time, it also was a place that was close enough to Pharaoh that he could see the distinction being made. If you sat there and said that Cleveland would, be, would go under a, a curse or under this, this plague, but it wouldn't affect Cincinnati, most likely you'd be like, well, duh, Cincinnati's a long way away. But no, this is more like, like the greater Cleveland area, and then it's not going to hit like Brunswick. And so it's, it's a place that's close enough to be seen. It's a place that's close enough to be, uh, to be looked at and to understand that there is a distinction being made between the Israelites and between the Egyptians. Here God is showing Pharaoh that the Israelites are different than the Egyptians. That this, this God, this Yahweh, the, the God that Moses proclaims and Aaron proclaims, this God is, is, a, is a God that truly is the God of the Israelites truly is the one true God. And, and God is trying to show Pharaoh this. Really, a lot of these, these plagues are all to sit there and say, Pharaoh, you've got to do something about this. You need to acknowledge who God is. You need to know who God is. And so what's happening and, and what we saw last week was that now the magicians acknowledge who God is. They weren't able to do the gnats. They weren't able to, to recreate the plague of gnats last week. And so because of that, there's that distinction that's made that even the Egyptians, the, the, the Pharaoh's magicians, determine that this is the power of God. And now God is showing Pharaoh that there's something different about the people that he's claiming to protect. It's not just simply that every single individual within Egypt is affected by this, but now God's people will no longer be affected. All of this was to distinguish God's people and prove to Pharaoh that God is who he says he is. Now if you continue reading in the story, you'll see that Pharaoh comes and he asks, just like he did with the plague of the frogs, he asks Moses to pray, and he says, well, I'll let you make sacrifices in, in Egypt. And Moses says, nope, that's not what God wants. God wants us to go into the wilderness and make sacrifices. And he says, okay, fine. If you just get rid of the flies, if you just get rid of these things, then, then yes, absolutely. I will, I'll, I'll let your people go. And so Moses prays, and the flies leave, and Pharaoh doesn't fulfill his promise. Instead of fulfilling the promise and accepting this deal, he decides to harden his heart even more. And so this is yet again the fourth or fifth time that Pharaoh has hardened his heart against what God has commanded. But there's this important distinction that is made. That God's people are different than all other people. The question that I have for us today is simply this, are you set apart? Maybe a better way of asking this question is, is your life different than those of unbelievers? Are you set apart? See, this is not just something that God does for the Israelites in Exodus. This is something that God does for his people. 
God sets his people apart. He makes a distinction between his people and everyone else. That if you declare Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are distinct from people that don't. I think it's very interesting how, how much we, we like to talk about the in crowd or the out crowd and the world will sit there and, and it will look at all kinds of different distinctions between people and say, no, no, you're on the out because you are this way. Because of where you come from. Because of what you look like. There's distinctions that are made and the world will sit there and say, these are all the distinctions that are made. And, and really, that's what happened to the early church too. There was a distinction between Jew, Jewish believers and Gentile believers. There are distinctions being made between men and women, that, that women were lesser and men were greater and all of those things. And yet God, the, the only distinction that I can see scripturally, if we're going to live biblical lives, the only distinction I can see in scripture is do you declare Jesus as Lord and Savior or do you not? That's it. It doesn't matter if you are, if where you come from, how you grew up. It doesn't matter your social economic background. It doesn't matter uh, the color of your skin. It doesn't matter any of those things. If you declare Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you're in. And if you don't do that, you're out. That's the only distinction that Scripture makes for us. And so there's a distinction that's being made. 1 Peter 2, 9-10 through 10 says, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. What's this talking about? It's saying that because of what Jesus has done on the cross for you, you now are a distinct people. You're different than everybody else. There's something about you that just seems a little different than everybody else. The reality is that Jesus makes us that distinct people. You've heard me say this before, but Jesus makes us family. There's a distinction that, that is between believers and unbelievers that Jesus makes us distinct. Seven, 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. The reality is that at one point in our lives, we were walking in darkness. Maybe you came into this place today and you're walking in darkness, unable to see or understand why, why the world is the way that it is. But at some point, Jesus found us and some point Jesus made us a new creation at some point Jesus made us distinct Jesus changed all of that he came so that we can walk in light he came so that we can be new with a purpose and a hope he came so that we can be restored fully Jesus makes a distinction between his people and those that aren't. Jesus talks about a lot of that in, in the Gospels. He says that there's wheat and chaff, right? He says that there's sheep and there's goats. He talks a lot about individuals that don't believe, that will not come to believe. 
And because of this, because of Jesus, we're different. And so what does this mean? Well, I I think it's really important for us to understand this, that we are a distinct people. What that means is that, that the Lord protects us from certain things, like the umbrella, right, and the rain. But not only that, but the way in which we handle our lives, the way in which we live. We live in a distinctly different way. How we treat people. How we treat individuals that are just walking a little too slow in front of us. And if they would just come on, it's a pep in your step, let's go. Walk with a purpose, right? And yet, we treat them differently. Why? Because we're distinct. An individual, maybe it's, and I, I ranted a little bit on this on Wednesday night, but the in, individuals that, you know, that the light's green. Come on! We act differently towards those individuals. We give a little bit of grace, you know, 10, 15 seconds before you lay on the horn. Maybe 30 if you're feeling really filled with grace at that point. How we live our lives. How we live our lives in the home with our peers. How we live our lives at work. All of those things are distinct. There should be something different about us. And that difference is what Jesus has done. I think it's so important for us as believers to to understand it's not just about coming here on a Wednesday or coming here on a Sunday and hearing a sermon and and maybe you cried a little bit and, and then you feel good and you go back home, but you act the exact same. Nothing has changed. There's no distinction between you and everybody else. We, we talk about this a lot in youth ministry is that, is that you know, for, for you, if you're the exact same as all of your friends, you're not doing it right. If you're the same as all of the unbelievers in your school, why in the world would anybody want to come to know Jesus? Because you're not being different. In the same way, that's the way that we go to work sometimes, isn't it? You're the same. You complain about your boss. You gossip about that one person that that missed a couple days, and man, they're in a really bad way. But you you know you do a little Jesus juke on him, be like, I'll be praying for him. Gossip's still gossip, even if it comes in the form of a prayer request. And so I say this, why? Because we have to be a distinct people. Why? Because when your, when your boss thinks of you, they should think of you as, as the best worker they have. Why? Because you're working unto the Lord. There's a distinction there. You're not working for him. You're not working for a paycheck. You're not working for your family. You're working for the Lord. There's a distinction that's made in your home that, that, that people that, that come into your home, they're like, man, you just parent differently. Like, your kids listen to you? What's going on with that? Like you actually talk to your kids? Hold on, are you saying that you actually sit down and have a meal and ask your kids about their day? That's distinct. It's incredible how many families don't eat a meal around the table together. There's a distinction. 
how you live your life with, with your wife or with your husband. Wait a minute, you're, you're telling me that, that you love your wife so much that you're gonna sacrifice golf to, to be with her? Hold on, there's a, there's a, there's a foot, the, the Browns are playing today. You, you know that, right? Like, but you'd rather spend time with your kids because your kids' hearts are more important? That, that's weird. I mean, like you, hold on a minute. You, you'd rather come to church than be in the muni lot right now? The distinction. We're a distinct people. There's a distinction, there's a difference in how we handle hard things. You know, individuals that aren't believers, that don't have the hope of, of Christ, that don't have the, the power of the Holy Spirit within them, when, when they go through a hard time, it's hard for them. When we go through a hard time, we act like James chapter 1. Consider it pure joy, brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds. Man, this stuff is, is rough, but hey, we're going through it. Jesus is still on the throne. There's a distinction. You always know someone's character by, by what they do when they're under pressure. By what they do in, in the face of, of, of brokenness, of rough times. The character is for the Lord. If it's righteous, then it's, hey, you know, God's going to see us through it. Yeah, it's really hard. Yeah, it stinks. I'm not sitting there and saying that you lie, okay? I'm not saying and be like, how's everything going? No, you just lost your leg. Everything's great. <laughs> and don't lie, you know, like, like Job out here being like, you lost everything and you're just, and, and everybody's asking you, how's it going? How you doing? I'm doing so good. It's okay to say, man, I'm really going through it. But God's got me. That's what happened to Job. He lost everything. And yet, he still would say, but I know that the Lord, my God, has me. So there's a distinction. Even, even in how we handle good things, there's a distinction. You ever, you ever see, maybe most of the time it's probably at work, but when you're at work and you see someone else get a promotion and the unsaved person is like, man, I should have got that promotion. The distinct people is like, that's so great that you got that. That's so incredible, man. What an honor. What a great thing you got. You know, there's a problem in the Corinthian church, 1 Corinthians 13, that, that chapter about love. It's not necessarily just talking about a chat, and I think it's used out of context a lot in, in weddings, but this is, a, this is a chapter mainly talking about spiritual giftings and blessings of the Lord. And so what's going on in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is that Paul is sitting there and saying, hey, whenever your, your friend gets that promotion and you know you should have gotten it, you celebrate with that friend. Whenever that person gets, gets really good news and you're just going through it right now, you celebrate with that person. Scripture says that we should mourn with those who mourn, weep with those who weep, and celebrate with those who celebrate. Good thing is, is being a distinct people, what that means is that the lows of life aren't so low and the highs of life get even higher. 
That's what a distinct people is all about. And so I think it's important for us to, to just simply ask that question. Are you set apart? Is there, is there a distinction between you and that neighbor that's not saved? Is there a distinction between you and that coworker, you and that peer, you and that, that whatever that looks like? Because the thing is, is that there, there must be, in order for us to be the people of God, we have to be the people of God. That there is a distinction between us. That your home and your neighborhood should be distinct. It should look different. And I'm not saying paint your house a, a crazy color. There should just be some, some type of, of way about that house, about that place. It, it, it's a place where, where, you, where people know that they are welcomed. It's a place where people know that they're loved. It's a place where, where people know that, you, you know, it's, it, it's one of those places I thank God that, that my mom was, was so hospitable when I was in high school. Pretty much once a week, we would have about 10 to 20 band kids in our house every week. And we'd do a meal or we'd do a bonfire or any of those other things. And, and, and the, the home that my, that my mom, that, that we had, my childhood home or my, my growing up home, was a place where people knew that they could come and they'd be safe and loved. They, they knew that it's just different. It's distinct. There's something about this. Like candles are lit. That's weird. Like I, just different things like that. And so are we set apart? Are we distinct? And here's the thing that so many of us miss is that we believe that we can be set apart by our own strength. And the reality is, is the only way to be set apart is if Jesus sets us apart. The only way that you can be set apart is simply by allowing Jesus to set you apart. It cannot be any other way. You can try and try and try with your own strength and, and all of these things and you can continue to go and you would essentially be, be throwing the gospel out the door. Because the gospel is that you do and can do nothing. That you are broken. That you need help. And Jesus is that help. It's not by your own strength that Jesus says, yeah, I'll come down and save those people. It's by his power and his love and his grace and his mercy that he came down, died on the cross for you so that you can be set apart. And so are you set apart? Jesus is the only one who does it. Maureen, you can come. When I was in fifth grade, there was this thing called DARE, and it isn't around anymore, but if you're, you know, it is still around? Oh, great. Praise God. Uh, DARE, it's an acronym. It means Drug Abuse Resistance Education. And so it was essentially an initiative, and it is an initiative to, to educate uh, elementary and middle school-aged kids on the troubles of drugs in hopes that we won't do drugs. 
And whether or not it worked or not, I don't know. I didn't do any, so it worked on me. But in fifth grade, <laughs> in fifth grade, they did this thing called Dare Camp. And it was literally like a, a, a camp, like a week-long camp at this campground. It was like a YMCA campground. And I, I had never been to a non-church camp. And so I'm like, yeah, it's going to be like church camp. Like, that's the way it's going to be. You know, I had just gone on to church camp. And then uh, two months before, that was my first ever uh, youth camp that I went to. And I'm like, oh, it's going to be a lot like this. It was nothing like that. Like these, all these kids that were there, sinners, every single one of them. And I remember we had some, some rougher guys in the, in the cabin that I was in. And uh, they would just, they would fight each other, like full out fight each other. Like just because some guy says something off or makes them a little bit mad, they just, they're on each other. And they're cussing and all this stuff. And I remember that there was a, there was a kid that, that was there. And, and this is, mind you, two months before I went to, to church camp. That was where I was baptized in the Holy Spirit at, at that camp and all these things, that my fifth to sixth grade year. And so I didn't know what was going on. Like, I had just started praying out loud. Like, I, I didn't know. <laughs> like, uh, all my prayers were always just like this before then. And the Holy Spirit just gave me some boldness, and it was, it was great because uh, he also gave opportunities. And so I was at that camp, and I, I remember... Uh, having a conversation with one of the guys and he was probably one of the rougher uh, of the boys that were in our cabin and he just was like, hey, can I ask you a question? I was like, sure. He's like, why don't you get in fights like everybody else in our cabin? I was like, man, because I don't need to fight because I got Jesus. Oh, okay. Then the next day, Hey, uh, can I ask you a question? Same kid. Yeah, what's up? Why is it that you don't cuss? Like, I've never heard a bad word come out of your mouth this whole week. Oh, you know, it's, <laughs> I just love Jesus. And he's purified me. I didn't say that because I was in sixth grade. Gosh, it was like. <laughs> Imagine that, but like put it into immature sixth grade words. I love Jesus. That's it. But there was a distinction that was made. I, I, was, I was different than all those other kids that didn't know Jesus. And some of them claimed to know Jesus, but they weren't distinct enough. And so in our lives, are we living lives that are distinct? Are we living lives not just simply the distinction that, that God is blessing us? Because the distinction is God does bless his people a lot. But also in how we handle our lives, how we live our lives. Is there a difference between that and then everybody else? I really believe that for us in here, 
And, and maybe I just sound like a broken record, but this understanding of God being greater is the main theme of this entire series. But I believe that if we, if we truly understand, if we truly can get this lifestyle of, of Jesus, that we're just different. It's just, it's just who we are. We can't help but talk about Jesus to people. We can't help but, but, but live our lives in, in alignment with Scripture. We can't help but do these things. Not because we have to follow some rules in order for us to be righteous. It's because of what Jesus has done in our hearts. It's because of what the Holy Spirit has done within us. That we've become pure. We've been made pure. We no longer want to do those things anymore. Why? Because Jesus is better. And so for us, I, I just really want us, and, and we'll, we'll take communion here in a moment, but, but I really want us to understand this and to be in this is this understanding that you have been created for good works, Ephesians 2 says. But not only that, but when you say yes to Jesus, when you turn your life to him, you are distinct, you're new, you're different than everybody else. You who were in darkness clouded, unknowing, have been called into his glorious light. A people that had, that were not a people, now you're the people of God. A people that had no, never experienced mercy or grace has now experienced mercy and grace. Why? Because that's what Jesus does. And what a great reminder for those of us who have been believers for a while. sometimes we can drift to not being different at all. We can look like, talk like, act like the world. We're not different. But Jesus distinctly, distinctly sets us apart so that we can live lives differently. And when we do that, doors are opened for people to know Jesus. Why are you so happy all the time? Man, Jesus. Why, aren't you, why don't you ever get angry? Why don't, why don't every single time that that, that that hammer drops down and hits your toe, why don't you ever cuss? First off, if the hammer's dropping on your toe that many times for somebody to realize that, it's a problem. But we're distinct. We're different. When something doesn't go our way, we're different. And so can we commit this morning to simply live life set apart because Jesus makes us set apart? Again, it's, it's not about you working at it and trying to get all these things and trying to do all these things and, and trying to be righteous in your own eyes and all of that stuff. It's just simply letting Jesus do the work, letting Jesus set you apart, letting the Holy Spirit purify you. I want us to be a community of believers that people are like, man, those people at Emmanuel, like they're just different. And not like in a bad way, in a good way, right? Like, not like, man, they're weird. Like, like in a way that's like, man, they just, they just love each other. They just, they want to hang out. They, they like, 
even when the food's bad, they're not like, oh gosh, this food's horrible. Like they're like, they actually eat it because they love that person that cooked it. They're just different. Why? Because Jesus sets us apart. And so can we be that? A people, a community, set apart by the power, the love, the mercy, and the grace of Jesus Christ. Let's pray.